This is Bush and Rich's Daily Takeaway. Al Murray, great to have you on the show. Welcome to Home Time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, we have a mutual friend in the national treasure that is Melanie Gedroyt. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I came to see you guys uh, in Crown Jewels, which was absolutely fantastic. Thank uh, you. I, I texted Mel this morning to say that we've got Al coming on the show. Anything I should ask him? <laughs> uh, and it, she's replied as follows. She says, you have to ask him about his air fryer. He's obsessed. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I bought an air fryer during the run and... Uh... Uh, what a piece of kit that is. Is it? Because, I mean, I know everyone's talking about air fryers, but what, are you, what have you been air frying in your um, air fryer? Basically anything. Um, to the point where the other day I put an egg in it to see what would happen to an egg. I'd looked up whether you could do eggs in a... You could do... Apparently you could do hard-boiled eggs. But I was, I, was, I, I heard a bang. or Well, not a bang, like a fut. Yeah. From the other end of the kitchen. <laughs> oh, right, the egg's exploded. And the egg the egg had exploded. There was egg, egg everywhere. So Amazing. So, but, but, yeah, I mean, I... What is your most regular meal that you do in your in your oh, air fryer? Well, I, I really like cooking fish in it. You, you, it's, oh. you know, because it because it's very hot very quickly. So you bake a piece of fish in it in like five minutes. It's fantastic. Oh, amazing! Yeah, uh, really uh, cool. uh, Mel also adds. Uh, <laughs> please, can you get him to do the following soundstroke impressions? Oh no! So just very quickly, uh, number one, lizard lips. Oh yeah, that's the. That's terrible. It doesn't sound like anything on the radio. <laughs> Sounds a bit Hannibal Lecter esque. Yeah, it's that. got a bit of the Lecter about it. Yeah. Uh, two dinosaur. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Mel's got a little noise like yeah, that, a little bit of noise like that. Yeah, and then yeah. finally, three small motorboat. Oh yeah, that's to do with. So that's not. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, what they would do every night in the play is they, they would, while the play's running out front, they're changing the scenery at the back because there was right. all this stuff that had to be moved on and off, and there was the there was a cabinet that had the crown jewels in it that had to be moved on and off, and the the thing with wheels they would wheel it on and off. The trolley on the, was so noisy, and we'd always assume backstage, surely they can hear this out front, but no one ever did, right? Yeah, yeah. But it basically made a tick, 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 <laughs> noises. It got rolled around like a like a sort of small motorboat. So yeah. what? we'd do is we'd all like we'd all like um mime uh pulling into harbour in a in a little in a little launch like that with this with this thing like duck, 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 duck. so that's that's where that comes from but yeah we we had a lot of fun mel mel was great fun to work with yeah you know it looked like you guys were having a, like yeah. a, just a, a good laugh on stage you know yeah, i mean it was yeah, great yeah yeah um well let, i want to start by saying thank you uh because you have been i think you've been at the forefront of uh making history more accessible oh well, that's very sweet of you. Uh, you, you. You narrated uh, James Holland's Battle of Battle of Britain, which... Yeah. Um, Have you listened I, to that? I listened to that. Uh, it's fantastic. It's, it's and then book. there was a bit at the end. I never normally stay for the end bits. Yeah. And you, 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 chat, you were chatting to him at the end. You interviewed yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, and there's me thinking, oh, these guys riff off each other really well. I reckon they, they, they should do a podcast. And you already have. <laughs> You and James already do a fantastic history yeah. podcast together because uh, we have ways of making you talk. That's right, yeah. Um, and do, do, do you think there's been a bit of a shift in the way that history is being presented? I remember at school, I, was, I mean, I'm really interested in history now, but yeah. at school I was just not into, into it because it was very prescriptive. Well, and, you had to do it. Yeah, you like know, rulers with king's names on and yeah, stuff. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Whereas this, if you're interested in it, you can follow your nose. I mean, I did a, I did, a, did do a degree in it, but but my big problem with that is there were, the, like, there were things I had to do. And I wanted to sort of, can't we do the thing I'm interested in rather than the thing you're telling me I've got to study yeah because because it's because the thing history is so enormous so vast it is possible to not be interested in some of it yeah because you guys kind <laughs> of in, in your podcast you i was just scrolling through your episodes yeah. and i think some of the most um successful history things that are out there are not some kind of like you know i do a lot of like online courses so like yeah. the great courses will be like right, right. 25 episodes right but it's quite nice to jump around and just pick up you would you there was one i saw the other day about the uh was it the cockle shell yeah the cockle shell heroes so yeah, yeah like yeah. just Operation jump frankton jumping yeah. into those little yeah. kind of crazy 
bits of history yeah, rather than having the, a look. and then the big stuff and everything. I mean, we've done over 700 episodes and, and there is, wow. we are not in danger at all of running out of subject matter. And it's only six years. It's incredible. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and do, do we just assume stuff with history that what we've been taught is the truth? I mean, just to go back to James and his book War in the West was one of the yeah. other ones I did. Like, a, a lot of assumptions aren't true about how we feel like the Second World War went, like yeah. the Nazi war machine was finely tuned or some of these yeah. high-profile battles were the turning points. But it's actually more boring stuff like logistics and manufacturing yeah, that kind of won the war. Yeah, there's a lot of logistics. You've, you've really got to think about pallets quite a lot when you study the Second World War. No, I mean, no, it's, yeah, the thing is, is, the thing is, is stories... So much history is the story we'd like to tell about ourselves is the truth. It's right. what it comes down to. You know, history history exists in, in the you know in the academy and then it exists off reservation in people's lives, right? Yeah. And uh, I think um, that's one of the really that's one of the really interesting things about it is is it has its li- a life of its own beyond the academic. But but what it very often comes down to is the story you'd like to tell yourself. And that that the, the not the like for instance the German war machine thing that people it's very sticky that idea. People really love the idea that they were super efficient and all that sort of thing. And I think one of the reasons they'd like they like the idea of that is is that I'd rather win by being a bit of an amateur rather than being ruthlessly professional. Yes. So we beat the ruthlessly professional people. Yeah. Um, because we were and we were a bit amateur about it. it was in fact actually it's completely the other way. It around. is though, isn't it? It really. Yeah. Is. When you look when you look into it, it it, it it's actually utterly it's a, it, it's an idea that's in negative and another part of it is that is that is a lot of wartime propaganda that the germans transmitted themselves that's still that's still in people's minds like the idea of the, the, the blitzkrieg idea is a german propaganda idea that that exists to this day um and it and it's it's not an accurate picture of what went on at as an idea at all you know they someone called it blitzkrieg and they went yeah yeah that's what we're doing that sounds yeah, good yeah 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 well, that's what we're doing yeah absolutely well, yeah that's us the blitzkrieg guys it's just not true well i mean not to go too granular yeah. on it but like the whole ardennes shock mm. appearance thing i mean that was mm. just like a massive uh it was like the m25 if we'd have got our act together then it might not have been the big shock that yeah, everyone thought yeah. it was going to be but... absolutely yeah, yeah 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 so should we challenge should we challenge history and we'll come to your 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 new tv show which yeah, is yeah. doing exactly that but i mean should we challenge what uh, the assumptions on history more than we do or are we, are we well, beginning I mean, to challenge I think you, you you naturally, you, you naturally do. As you, you, you the, the, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I uh, at one point did an awful because well, I did before my degree. I did my A level. I've done a lot of Tudors, right? A lot of Tudors and uh, a, a lot of Tudors, and and I've, I've forgotten more Tudors than I've learned as well. Like the amount of the, the amount of Tudor I've had to learn over the years. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, but the thing is, is even that uh, you can you can look at again and challenge and flip on its head and all that sort of thing yeah even a thing is like that's apparently we know all about is well worn and and when people talk about oh you shouldn't rewrite history well that, that that's what historians do they literally rewrite they literally rewrite history that's yeah. what you're doing when you're writing history is you're rewriting it because you're reframing it for now we've got another way of looking at it and all this sort of thing so yeah i i i what i love about history is though is where it sits in people's imaginations and mm. then and then trying to sort of uh uh and which is what very much what we were, we were interested in with the, with the new program is what, 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 where does the you know where, where does the British Empire, which is what the program is about, sit in our imaginations, and then where does it sit in the imagination of people who were part of it once, which is the probably the more interesting question actually. Well, this is it. So new series Sky History starts yeah. on Monday night, uh, and it, like I say, it sounds right up my street. Why does everybody hate the British Empire? Uh, <laughs> so am I right in saying that you and, and kind of a special guest take a journey uh, each week across the landscape of the empire, India, yeah. Jamaica, South Africa, Australia? Yeah. My, my initial assumption is that most people probably do hate the British Empire. Is that right or is well, that wrong? Well, you know what? I mean, th- th- that was what was interesting about it because, um, so it's with a comedian in each country um, uh, because, because... 
no point talking to historians because they'll have their axes to grind. Whereas the comedians were sort of coming up to it and taking it as they found it, which I thought was which was a, that's like, interesting that you that you're going for that rather yeah. than the historian yeah, well, yeah, angle. Because because I think it might be quite a chin tro- strokey dry program. And also the other thing is comedians. We keep being told by sort of um, opinion makers that we're supposed to tackle difficult subjects. Yeah. Right? So here we are tackling a difficult subject. You know, yeah. if, you, if you don't like it, too bad. You know. Yeah. Uh, um, and and. What was really, what was fascinating, so in India, I worked with this comedian called Anavab Pal, he's an absolutely brilliant writer and, and comic, and he really loves the British, and he really thinks that there are things that the British left in India that are incredibly important and need to be hung on to. Oh, wow. Like um, a bicameral parliament, like the separation of the judiciary and the political state, um, uh, like the, the, essentially the rule of law and all this sort of thing. He hmm. thinks they're really, really important. They're great things to have, have, have ended up with as a result of independence. And he loves railways, you know. So so he, he, in the argument here, you have people go, well, you know, we gave him the railways. And then people go, well, actually, the railways were, were used to exploit and were a burden on India. Yeah. And, and Anavab's going... I love trains. <laughs> I just love trains. And, you know, and he's, and he's he, so he's not is he, the Indian person that doesn't exist in either of those arguments, in either of those imaginations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that was fascinating, and that he, you know, he's really concerned about the way things are going there, and he thinks that the the part, the, like the political institutions they've got, are really worth protecting, and they're British, they're on a British model, so so that's. That, that was interesting. And then Loisa Gola in South Africa, he'd never really thought about it much before. And by the time we were done with him, he was quite angry. So, <laughs> so, um, so uh, kind of, I uh, don't know how much of a favour we did in there by, by telling him all about it. It's weird, though, because you watch the news over here and they always feel, you always feel like they're, you know, ex-colonies are ripping up their history and want mm. us kicked out and, you know, not doing the Commonwealth Games and all that kind of stuff. So you kind of feel that there's a narrative of um, it's just all awful and, yeah. and it's been a complete burden on them, which is obviously, you know, that's their prerogative and everything. Yeah, yeah. But maybe it's not quite as cut well, it was, dry I as mean, that. In Jama- again, in Jamaica, you know, the thing in Jamaica is people... The, the, the Chris Daly, who I hung out with... Um, you know, you talk to him about slavery, and he'd, and he'd obviously be appalled and moved by it. But also, he he, he kind of was. He's also like of the Jamaican view of you know one love, be you know be good to one another, hmm. as a, a kind of as a way of digesting and moving on from from uh, rancor about that. Which I thought, which I was again, I was I was quite surprised by. But that's that's you know, big Rasta thing is is that you you live in the world you live in now, you know, and you make the best of it and and all that rather than dwell on the previous wrongs perhaps yeah and that that again i was you know because that was surprising on one level to encounter um and also in jamaica the reason they're not they're looking to the americas now they're looking to america rather than us and and so they're not really interested (laughs) don't care anymore yes or or don't care anymore and that that was really like that was really interesting to see because because in our debate here the assumption is you get there and everyone would be very angry with yeah angry with the british and angry with asking the question and they weren't they just weren't, yeah. And, and there's a sort of absence of um, of, uh, of of something, which is again in itself fascinating and, and a surprise. And 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 you know the reason the reason I'm interested in history is because it's incredibly interesting. So to run into those attitudes and, mm. and, and encounter them, that was interesting in itself. You know that that that, that, that that's where it lives in their imagination, or not at all. You know. I mean, I spent 10 years uh, living in Bristol, uh, and there's yeah. been this real kickback uh, yeah. recently where people have been pulling down statues or asking for things to be renamed, particularly, say, yeah. Edward Colston, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Colston Hall, etc. I mean, you know, you look at you know Winston Churchill, etc., has copped a lot of flack for views and, um, yeah. and racist views, etc. How, how, how should we look back on people who helped us through tough times or, or have, have moved this nation forwards, right. but also had kind of quite dubious views well, on things? It makes them sound like human beings. 
yeah. rather than sort of paragons of, of virtue or evil. It makes them sound like people. There are people today who hold terrible views but do good things too. You know, like it's it's uh, it, it 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 tells you that people are th- these people are people and and. And if you can identify a bad view that you'd rather not hold, then then good, you know. But if you'd see it in someone else... I mean, I, you know, the, the question about the British Empire is, do you feel... I suppose one of the questions that gets asked is, are you, are you proud of it or are you ashamed of it? And the thing is, is I, I didn't do it, so I'm neither. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, uh, you, can, you can be appalled by things, but to take pride in it is, I think, is kind of weird. And to, and to be ashamed of it is also kind of strange. Mm. Um, and... and and also, as a historian, it's not you. And I'm using that word about myself with, with oven gloves on, right? <laughs> um, to, 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 as a historian, it isn't your job to tell people to be ashamed or to or to be proud. It's your job to say, make of this what you will. So, I would say there's a really important historical character, but also at one point kept slaves. What, did you think their statues should be taken down and things should be renamed? Or do you think, that, do you think that's going too far? Or I ju- I ju- you know what? I just don't. I just don't know. I mean, it's Thomas Jefferson is sort of effective in, in the US has effectively been cancelled because he was a slave owner. But he, but he also, you know, he's one of the most important people in American history. Like founded the state that exists. So, yep. so I, I don't know. I don't know necessarily. I mean, you know, changing names of things is. I understand, yeah. Um, but also, on one level, kind of the, the, the kind of some of it feels quite performative. But that's all right, you know. Um, sometimes performative things are good too. You know that you're at least doing the right performance. Yeah, you, you, you know what I mean. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, it's I, a tough I, way. It's a tough question. It is. It, although, but all these questions are gnarly and complicated because because some people I think are conservative about things. They don't even know why they're being conservative about them. They want to hang on to things. They don't really know. They don't want know the way I even do that. They just don't like change. Yeah. Um, and you know the, the Colston statue in, in, in Colston statue in Bristol, for instance, where that came from, why that was made, why that was put up, is as interesting as why it was torn down. You know yep. what was going on in Bristol at the time where it, when when he became a, a, a person people were suddenly into. You know, so so, so it's I more nuanced it, than just well, pulling all it history, down. Well, yeah, but but nuanced, nuanced or interesting, it depends on your, depends on. Your, I I think interesting things are more interesting than things that are like. Um, uh, told us the simple stories, and that's the interesting thing about um, the four countries we went to. Is the British imperial story in each of them was completely different. Yep. It's like wildly different. You know, the difference between what happened in India with the East India Company and what happened in Australia with the settler colony, with the penal colony, and what happened in in Jamaica when the when the when the enslaved peoples were freed, yep. uh, and then what happened in South Africa where you've got two two European colonies basically. Uh, struggling with each other for control of South Africa and the African people who were, you know, the African nations who are there, who get caught in the machinations of the two white settler states. Those are four radically different stories. So if you've got like a one idea about what the British Empire was like, you, you can't, you, you can't apply it to all four. Yeah. If you try to, you won't get what you won't get the story of what happened, and then you'll never understand why it happened. You never, then you'll never. We never learn a damn thing. <laughs> never learn a damn thing. Well, I mean, the effects of empire uh, and the actions of this nation are, I guess, still being felt around yeah. the world as we speak. The the unfolding horror in the Middle East. Been I've been trying to gen up on the history because I, I realised yeah. that I don't know anything about the history of the region. So I've been trying yeah. to like read up on it a little bit. And you look back at stuff like Sykes Pico, the Balfour Declaration, yeah. all that kind of stuff, which is all post collapse of the Ottoman em- uh, Ottoman Empire. Yeah. So so it's not simply a British interaction with the region. It's the it's the centuries of Ottoman uh, imperialism there. Um, that then comes to the end when uh, the Ottomans collapse at the end of the First World War. So, so you've got you've, it, it's not just us, not just us. And, and, and this is the you know this is the thing. I think one of the interesting things about empire is it's I think it's part of the human condition. There have been empires since the dawn of time. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's 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 not just us. 
which is which is sort of the way I kind of like when people go, oh, were we were we were we better or worse than you think? Oh, shut up! But, <laughs> the, 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 let's, let's not. Let's, that's a boring question, yeah, right? Because it's uh, fundamentally unanswerable as well. But the fact is, why is it a thing that keeps happening? Why are why is empire? Uh, it seems to be a function of of human societies. Why is that? What's going on? Because everyone, basically everyone at some point has had an empire. But yep. literally everybody, almost. So what's that? What does what does that tell us? Hmm. Rather about humanity rather than getting hung up on just the, the British and the crimes of the British. You know, it's, everyone's been at it. And, you know, the Second World War, which is my, my, my patch with the, with, the, with the podcast, you can't explain that um, without knowing about the British Empire, yep. the, effectively the American Empire, the fact that the Soviet Union is an empire, the fact that Japan wants one and the Germans want one. It's the, the, that's, that's what's going on. Yep. Um, and, and we win because we've got one. And we and we lose it because we have to fight. And, you know why are British soldiers in Burma? Can anyone else? You know it's because of the British Empire. It's not mm. nothing to do with standing alone if you're fighting in Burma yeah. or Singapore or Malaya or Hong Kong. You know, so it's all kind of connected. Everything's well, of course, everything's connected. But also, it is this thing that every empire is, a, I think, a function of 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 of, of civilization or whatever you want to call it. I mean, even that word's even that word's loaded now. But yeah. but but you know what I mean? It's it's not just us. It's it's everyone. Everyone's done it. The Fre- you know, the French post-war post-imperial, you know, down drawdown is is really is an an amazingly interesting and different story to us, completely different story to us. And that that's worth knowing about. We, obviously they used to say that the sun never used to set on the British Empire. <laughs> yeah. Has, have we accepted our reduced status oh, going yeah, forward, absolutely. do you think? Yeah, yeah, completely. Um I mean one of the one of the interesting things at the you know, at the end of the Second World War, basically uh, and you know we can get I can, I can get quite dense on this quite quickly. Um it, it, is that before the before the Second World War you have Empire Day celebrated as a thing in this country. Like it's an actual thing. There's a it's a school holiday or whatever. After the Second World War, that has vanished. Yeah, because people, uh, uh, because of the Second World War, because it's because, uh, because it's a Second World War that we're caught up in, and we've had conscription. Basically, the British state has to renegotiate its relationship with the British citizen. Yeah, and that's why you get the National Health Service, you get nationalisation, you get a welfare state, and those things do not include the empire in people's in people's political reckoning at all. And and immediately, you know, part, India's ditched you know pretty much immediately as soon as the war ends and this complete withdrawal from empire happens very very fast and i think and the, the reason for that is no politi- the politicians knew it was unsustainable they were going to have to they were going to have to do that because there was no appetite for it in britain ever again so so yeah and we embraced our diminished role we 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 took it on we grabbed it with both hands so the idea that you know the idea that um we haven't managed to digest that i think is 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 sort of um Bananas, really. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that word at the end there. I've not heard that for a while. It's completely bananas. Uh, well, listen, sounds fantastic. So this Thank is you. Sky History, Monday night. What time is it on? Um, nine o'clock. Nine then, o'clock, Monday night. like modern TV, you can you can watch it on your watch. Um, yeah, on, uh, whilst you're off on an exercise bike. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Or something like that. But it's, and, and I, I think what's, what's cool we about it... We don't watch it on your watch, obviously. <laughs> Watch it on like a proper yeah, proper telly. Big telly. But we learn a lot about ourselves from seeing how other people see us, yeah. I guess. And, and about them, about how they about how they you know, about how they see themselves too in the in the world as it is now. That's the other interesting bit. Fantastic. Al Murray, great to have you on. Thank you so much. My pleasure. The Daily Takeaway. Bush and Richie's Daily Takeaway. Now earlier on, something very, very strange happened to me. I was trying to brainstorm what would be the worst phone-in topic to do on a radio show. Came up with what I thought was a good contender for a stinker. 
and unexpectedly loads of people have got in touch about it, so maybe there's something in it. I rewind a bit. On the way, I was on the way back from the school run earlier on and I saw at a distance our local postie, of course shorts on even despite this weather, completely hairless legs as they all seem to have. Anyway, I saw our postie going into next door's garden and I knew it was next door even though I was about three or four hundred metres away because he opened the gate. And next door have got a very elaborate gate with a latch and everything like that as well. And I've always thought about their gate. I've always kind of coveted it thinking that's a perfect way of marking the boundary between the outside world and their property. I have never lived anywhere with a gate. I've never owned a gate in my entire life. I don't even know what life with a gate is like. So I thought to myself, that's it. That's the terrible phoning. Have you got a gate? It's going to be a stinker. My producer Nick's shaking his head. He's trying to distance himself from it. But do you know what? So many people have got in touch about it on Twitter that I'm going to pursue it. There's something in this. It's just in the details. Martin says, Bush, not only do I have a gate, I have a remote control to open it. What the hell's going on there? What is it, Fort Knox? Powerly's been on, he's got four gates. Where do you live, mate? Checkers? So, just answer the question, you might, I'm not getting involved. This is rid- I'm not getting involved, this is ridiculous. It's too late, you've already, you've already worked out in your head how many you've got. Or if you've got one, or maybe like me, never have one in your life. Get in touch now, exercise your democratic right. Steve says I've got a front gate and a side gate, shut them too hard, and you're for it. He'll come out and have a go at you. Joe says no gates at present, but we'll soon be getting one, or maybe two, as our outside is getting a layout change. That's exactly the level of text I'm after this evening. Johnny says we've got four metal double gates on the drive, single metal gate for path to front door, and a wooden gate on the fence to back garden. He's, he can't move for gates around at Johnny's house. We've got Ben on the line right now, uh, who wants to tell us about his gate. Ben, tell us about your gate, mate. Uh, my gate. It's a uh, recycled shed door. Your gate is a recycled shed door. Did you recycle that shed door yourself, Ben? I did. Yeah, we knocked down our shed and needed a gate. So, used the door. It fit perfectly. And was this a normal kind of normal kind of square shed that you might keep a bike and some, like, spades and that in and you've just used the door off it as your actual main gate? Yeah, just a standard shed. Nothing nothing fancy. Brilliant. What, what a icebreaker or talking point if you've got people coming around the house, Ben. That's fantastic. The postman loves it, too. Does he? And what kind of locking mechanism did you attach to that, Ben, to make it work like a gate? Well, you have to stick your hand over the top and try oh. and find the lock. <laughs> OK, that's a, that's a little bit disappointing. Like so you're away to go yet for it to be fully operational, a bit like the, the Death Star. Oh, yeah, but it does the job. It keeps the dog safe and, yeah, it keeps people out. Brilliant, Ben. That's a fantastic uh, shed stroke gate story. And I thank you very much for joining in on this uh, life-changing phoning we're running tonight on Home Time. Let's go to the phones and speak to Philip. Philip, where are you calling in from? I'm calling from Northern Ireland. How's the storms in Northern Ireland? Are you guys avoiding it? No, it's fine. No problem to us. Just taking it in your stride, you guys. Yeah, that's that level rain, but no problems. (laughs) What uh, what level have you got there? Wheelie bins moving around, gates wobbling. What's happening? Uh, Hedgerows. Hedgerows fluttering in the wind. Just just a slight breeze. OK, I like that. Uh, well, listen, Phil, let, let's cut to the chase and talk about your gate situation. The most we've yeah. had so far on the show at the moment is someone's got four gates, which I was saying is madness. How many gates have you got at your house? I've got 27. No, 27 gates, Phil. Yeah, yeah. I can send you a picture if you want. I'd love to see it. How come you've got 27 gates? So I, I live on a small farm. I own a small farm, and that's just the gates throughout the farm, farmland between the fields. So you constantly opening, going in, closing behind you so, like, animals don't escape? Is that what it is? Oh, no, I've got a wife and kids, they do, yeah. <laughs> what have you got on the yeah. farm, though, Phil? Uh, sheep. 
Oh, brilliant. So do you ever lose sheep? Oh, oftentimes I do, yeah, but they normally turn up. They'll, they'll never go They'll never go further than the town land. They'll always stay close by, but yeah. Do you know how many you've actually got? Uh, probably about 500 sheep at the minute, I would imagine. That's a lot of gates. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. <laughs> OK, well, well done, Phil. You and your farm uh, have got the most gates that we've had on the show this evening, so uh, great Excellent. to speak to you. Fantastic. This is the Daily Takeaway. Daily Takeaway. Uh, so I went to the laundrette this morning, as promised, after our big old chat about washing machines on yesterday's show. I was still faced with the three compartments. Uh, but Claire has got in touch on Twitter to clarify that. We're not going to go back down that route again. But just if you were wondering what those three compartments are in, the, in one of them washing machines, she says pre-wash, wash, softener. I put vanish in the pre-wash. That's it, done and dusted. I used her advice. Though I didn't have any vanish. But here's the weird thing, right? Whilst we were waiting for the washing to finish, I, I took my two-year-old, Stella, down there with me as well, just to get her out of the house. Anyway, she was sat up on one of the seats looking out the windows in the laundrette, and she was pointing to something next door and knocking and pointing and all that kind of thing. Went to have a look, and we were next door to a graveyard on London Road in South End, Essex-type way. Uh, and she wanted to have a walk around it, so we, we spent, like, probably half an hour whilst the wash was going on exploring this graveyard next door to the laundrette, which I admit is quite weird, but all three of my girls, all three of my kids, have been obsessed with graveyards at some point in their lives, every single one of them, and each one of them, they're all very different personalities, but they all share this strange, ingrained-in-their-DNA love of a graveyard. You know, and, and we are heading towards Halloween, so it seems fairly apt. But they've always been fascinated by it. They walk around, we'll read the headstones. If there's a church there as well, they'll have a good walk around the church and a nose about. Uh, love a good stained glass window, maybe lighting a candle in there as well. Is that weird? So I don't, if you're listening to this now and you were into something unusual or you're obsessed with something, maybe you focused in on quite a bizarre thing that it was, it was you, your life was all, you lived for it back in the day, uh, do tell us about it. Richard says prisons, which he still is. Obsessed with prisons. All right there, Richard, mate. Uh, Thomas says, My Little Pony. Hasn't led to any love of horses in adult life. Just a strange childhood obsession. Simon says, The Hoover. He was obsessed with The Hoover. It was his first word and everything. Uh, Kay says, Books about ghosts. We used to go to the local library and try and check out books about hauntings. But they wouldn't let me because I was by myself. I had to stay and read them. Uh, if you listen to my uh, Scarred for Life podcast, we do a whole section on the Usborne Book of Ghosts, which is iconic. So make sure you check that out. All right, we've got Lisa on the line. Lisa, what was your unusual childhood obsession? Uh, vampires. Into vampires. So bang on on point for Halloween coming up then. Yes. And, and you say you're into vampires. How were you into vampires? How much? Just everything, absolutely everything. I nearly actually went to the extent of getting um, my teeth extended to have fangs permanently. <laughs> but uh, still a little bit into vampires. When my son was born, I gave him the middle name Vladimir after Vlad the Impaler, who was the original Count Dracula. Wow, what about that? So his his middle <laughs> name is Vlad? Yes. Brilliant. And then, like, um, any any other levels did you take it with the whole vampire thing? Any other stuff you bought? Capes or coffins? Oh, I've still got capes, I've got coffin handbags. My dad went to the extent of, um, I had a cabin bed as a kid and he put a lid on from it, on it for me. Wow. So I could pretend I was going to bed in a coffin. <laughs> that is unbelievable, that, isn't it? Yeah, my dad was great. <laughs> uh, Lisa, dare I ask how you celebrate Halloween? Um, I'm a pagan, so it's, it's, it's a very spiritual day for us. Oh, OK. Anyway. So what, from a pagan, I don't know anything about um, paganism. What, 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 how do you guys celebrate Halloween then? What do you do? It's basically you classed as our spiritual New Year, so it's like the, the the night where the veil is thinnest between the the living and the dead. 
and we light candles to help them see the way along to the next life. Next life. Actually, sounds like uh, Saturday afternoon South End City Centre. To be honest with you, so what? <laughs> you got you guys have a good time, and uh, yeah, lovely to hear from you. Well, thank you very much. Pass on our best of lad. I will do. <laughs> this is Bush and Rich's Daily Takeaway. Can I ask you a question? Do you time your day at any point by a stranger? Uh, let me explain. Uh, the school run in the mornings in our house is just chaos. Our, our actual house is a bit like a Formula One pit crew in that everything's going on at once. It's all you know down to the second. Shirts on, hair brushed, teeth cleaning, scooter ready, getting three girls ready to go for school is it, pretty crazy. And then you, you spat out the door on the way to school and uh, our middle daughter, Thea, God bless her, I love her, but she's a little chatterbox. So she's chatting away while she's on her scooter on her way to school. So the, you don't really have a chance to look at your phone or kind of know where you're at. The only way I can get a sense of whether we're on time or not in the mornings is when I see a bloke who I don't know, he's a stranger, but I call him Thor. And he's this bloke, like he's like massive, like six foot two or something like that. Long blonde hair, always in a gym outfit. So he's going to the gym or coming back from the gym. Actually, if he's coming back from the gym, he hasn't put much effort in because he looks all kind of quite preened and pristine. But I know that if I see him at the bottom of the road, we're late for school. If I see him at the top of the road, I'm on time. It really is as simple as that. So if you time your, your day or anything by a stranger or someone that you've, you don't even know who they are, do tell us. Phil says, a lady in a nursing uniform used to walk past my flat at the exact time every morning and evening for 10 years. If I missed her, I was late for work or late home. I've now moved, but one morning I did see her leave him from the next street. I would love to see how many steps she clocked during the week. Uh, something like that works. Some great stuff that's come in. This text here says, we actually call this commuter bingo bush. Uh, for example, in our lives we have swingy arm man, Dave K who pipes daily, don't know what that means, woman cycling in summer dress 12 months of the year, lady, and Honda Civic guy. All same place, same time daily, and we set our watches by them. Uh, we'll leave you with one final uh, setting your body clock or day clock by a stranger. I had a peep from Durham. He says, I start work at 6am, takes me 30 minutes to walk to work. The main road is poorly lit. It's a B road. And I know I'm on time because this dude rides past me on a bicycle with lights front and back, plus lights on his helmet like Tron, plus different colour LED lights and the spokes of his wheels. And without fail, he always shouts, Morning! He's my time indicator. The Daily Takeaway. Bush and Richie's Daily Takeaway.